You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. You can join several of the hosts from the Master Photography Podcast Network at the third annual Create Photography Retreat in Las Vegas, March 28th to 30th, 2019. And if you've never been around hundreds of photographers just as passionate as you are about photography, you really have to come and join us. Tickets are on sale over at createphotographyretreat.com for only $437, and that is a steal. If you've ever looked into photography conferences, that is a very inexpensive way to be able to ha- come and have this kind of experience. And You can get even more off of that ticket price if, as you check out, you use the offer code MPPODCAST, so that's capital M, capital P, capital P, and then podcast at checkout you'll save an additional $30 off that ticket price we'd love to see you there Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and I am joined by Brent Bergherm. Welcome back to the show with me, Brent. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Okay, so um, I wanted to talk about two quick things before we get into the bulk of the show and what the episode is today. The first one, we've had some people saying, man, I wish I could get to the links that you guys mention in the episodes easier. Um, They see kind of a snippet of the show notes in their podcast player, but the links in there are usually not actual links. So um, the problem is (laughs) there's no standards on this stuff. And I really wish there were. And I think we're headed towards a place where there might be standards. But right now, uh, the best we can do is try to make it work as good as we can across most of them, but not it's never going to work across all players today. And the, the best thing you can do on most of them, as I have checked them out, and I've, I've gone through a whole bunch of these podcast players now, um, If at, at the bottom of the little snippet, so it's going to show the first, I don't know, it's like 250 characters or something of the post, of the show notes are, are there, and that's it, which our show notes have way more content than that. And then at the, below that, there's usually two links that are actual links. The first one is a link to the show notes for that episode. So that'll it'll launch your browser. Like if you're on your phone, you see that in the show notes in your podcast player, look at the bottom. Like don't worry about what's shown in the show notes there in the podcast player. Go to the bottom of what it shows there. The very first link, click on that. And that should launch a browser that will show you the actual show notes like on the website. And that's going to be way better. You're going to be able to have all of the links work that way. And you're going to see all of the commentary, all the notes that we have there. So that that's the, the way that I think you should get to them. Uh, the second link is there usually just that's like the homepage for the show where you'll see all of our podcast episodes, the the recent ones and go back quite a ways in the history and and other articles that we may have on the site. So I just wanted to offer that bit of advice really quickly that don't be disturbed. Like as you look in the show notes in your podcast player, um, just because there's links that are shown there that are not actual clickable links, look below that a little bit and find that first link that hopefully your podcast player will show as a clickable link. And that'll launch a browser to the actual show notes. Can be a way better get way to get there. Second thing I want to bring up was um, the latest release of Adobe Photoshop and Lightroom. And I've been recommending since it was released in October 2018 that people hold off, that they don't go there, don't um, upgrade to that version. 
because the Adobe forums were filled with a lot of people having a lot of issues, some of them really bad issues, like having to reinstall their operating system in order to get stuff to work again. Uh, real, real big challenges. And so my advice back then, we talked about it briefly, was don't upgrade. If you rely on, on Photoshop and Lightroom for your business, stay where you're at. Don't upgrade even though there's shiny new toys <laughs> in the new version. And I just want to echo that again because I've had a lot of listeners ask me that question. Is it ready? And a whole bunch have posted to our Facebook group re- recently that they're seeing a big issue in Photoshop. So I specifically wanted to talk about that. And here's what it is. It has to do with round-tripping between Lightroom and Photoshop. In the very latest version, as we're recording this podcast here in December 2019, the latest version that was released in October, if you are in Lightroom and you round-trip into Photoshop, you do the select um, edit in Photoshop from Lightroom, when Photoshop launches at least a huge portion of the time, not every time, but a big portion of the time, you end up in Photoshop where you can't do anything. You can't select any tools. You can't do anything. And none of the menus work. Everything is like just frozen right there. It's almost like it's a read-only copy of the photo and you can't touch it. You can't do anything with it. The solution or workaround right now that Adobe has provided, they are aware of the problem. It is a recognized bug in the software and hasn't been fixed yet. The way to get around it is to launch Photoshop first before you are trying to edit in Photoshop. Make sure Photoshop is also running alongside Lightroom. If you launch Photoshop first and then you do edit in Photoshop from Lightroom, it works most of the time. (laughs) I've still had problems with it even then. So... I just wanted to, to go over it here on the podcast because I've had a lot. I've had I've seen multiple people post the question in the Facebook group about this issue. It's known by Adobe. There is no fix. You have to do that workaround. I also just stand by my warning. I, I've used the newer version for, to process a photo shoot this last week. And boy, are there buggy things in Photoshop. It's really not doing well. So, so I really recommend if you want to, if you need to be productive, you got to stay at the version where it was, it was not uh, so buggy and just wait. I'm sure Adobe will address some of these problems and make it work better, but hold off for now. <laughs> All right. With those two things, Brent. <laughs> yeah, I can. frustrating yeah (laughs) if if we're doing that because everything i've done right now has uh with my just personal images i actually haven't any any problems with uh so i'm one of the rare few i guess i'm also not on mojave yet though so maybe it has to do with something to do with mojave possibly but um i don't know it's just the issues that i've seen are across both windows and mac so there's no really wow it's just they they put out the the Photoshop release seems to be the the biggest culprit. The Lightroom stuff is working pretty well. I haven't had a whole lot of issues with that, although I've seen some pretty big problems that yeah. people have had. It's but they kind of go together. You really want Photoshop and Lightroom on the same version. Uh, Camera right. Raw was updated, so you, you really want everything on the same version. And that Photoshop version is really bad. I it's been crashing like crazy as I've gone and used some of the more advanced features, like shake reduction, as an example. It crashes constantly. Mm, sure. So um, so I yeah, it's just stay on the the version just before the one that was released in 2018, 
and uh, go. So if you've already upgraded, by the way, you can go back. This is a beautiful thing because they didn't upgrade or change the format of the Lightroom catalog. You can downgrade yeah. to the previous version this time. It doesn't work that way every time, but with this latest release, if you got there, you're having big problems, just downgrade to the previous version and things are going to be much smoother. Yeah, I actually noticed that because my computer at home, I've got the 2018 version there. I haven't upgraded that one yet. But my notebook, I have the 2019 version. And I was so glad when that catalog was actually cross compatible. I was like, yay, I didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) So that's good. Won't happen every time, but it did this time. No. Yeah. Okay. Now let's get into the episode. Now that we've had people (laughs) wondering why why it's been taking so long for us to get to the the actual topic. Um, I wanted to talk about printing today. And absolutely. And I'm glad, Brent, that you were able to come on. This is a it's a tough topic for me because <laughs> I've I've really despised printing. <laughs> I oh, have that hurts. I have not I, liked it. I love printing. Oh so I have hated it. It's so I'm, good. I'm hoping you can convince me that my decision to get into it a little bit um is, is gonna be good. But let me let me explain why I hate it. And I think yeah. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of photographers that are going to feel exactly the same way as I do. Sure. Um, so, I mean, at this point, I've done a, a fair amount of printing of my own photos. All of my portrait clients, they want prints, of course. And and that's why they're getting portraits taken. Of They, they want to print them off. They, it, some do it. I do have some clients that they only want the digital and they're only going to share it on social media. They actually don't even print it. But it's rare. Most people want to have the prints done. They want to hang out like a big canvas on their wall or something like that. And I, I like, I really enjoy hanging my own landscapes up on the wall too. I, I have a lot of fun with that, taking the landscape and it's really fun to share it on social media, but it's, it's so much better when you print it off and you look at it on your own wall. Um, so, so that part of it is great. And I've, I've done what I had to do to figure out how to prepare my photos so I can send them off to a print lab and get them printed. And, and that, that works great. Um, I don't have any problem with that. And it's, it's printing my own photo, like myself, printing myself that I've really not wanted to do. Plus, even beyond that, with my clients, um, I just don't like that part of it very much. Working with them on, oh, I want this one in 8 by 10 I want that one in whatever size. And, and they're picking it and then... Um, and then, you know, having to work with them on like, well, actually, that's not going to be a great aspect ratio. And they don't understand. Anyway, the whole thing. I know that I, part I can totally resonate yeah, with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't like that. It's not a part of it. I enjoy it. I do this as a hobby. And so um, I if I can take out whatever part of it that I don't enjoy, I, I may as well. It's not like this is my life. <laughs> I'm not working on this to pay the bills. And so why do something I don't enjoy. And I just don't enjoy interacting with clients that way. And I know I'm leaving a ton of money on it. People are probably cringing. The portrait photographers out there listening are totally cringing when I'm saying this. They're like, ah, but that's where you make money. That's yep. that's how you can actually get some money for doing your, this job and taking these these jobs to take portraits is doing this like uh, deposit sitting fee is just like the little tiny part to make sure they're serious about the shoot. But the in-person sales and getting them to buy uh, big prints and, and other things for their photos to go on is how you can actually make money. And I get that. I totally understand that. But again, my hobby, I don't care about. I don't enjoy that part of it. And so I have avoided it. Um, so it, And then the few times I have tried to print myself... It's been like really awful, the results. 
<laughs> truly bad. In fact, I, I have right now, I have an, an Epson Workforce printer that's just kind of our generic document printer that I have for our family. And it's struggling like crazy right now. It's been fine up until about two or three months ago. And even though I've cleaned the print heads and I've uh, aligned the print heads and I've done everything you're supposed to do, it still just prints out banding on the photos whenever you mm. try to do it. And yeah. I, it's just not working well. I just, oh, I hate this. <laughs> Partially because I don't know enough about it. So, Brent, I want to talk to you about, I, I made a decision a few weeks ago. I jumped on one of the printer deals that are out there. We're going to talk about that in a second. And I, I bought a, uh, a, ca- a Canon printer, and I'm determined to figure out how to use it just more than anything so that I really understand it. And, and that's the first part of this I want to talk about. This is coming from someone who just really despises the whole print your own photos stuff. <laughs> And yet, I'm going to do it, and I wanted to talk about why I decided that, and then I want to get your help, Brent, on like where to go. Since I'm getting, I'm yeah. brand new to this, I don't know how to do this very well, and I think a lot of listeners uh, could benefit from the same kind of discussion. Wait, I know we have some listeners that are really good at this. I've seen that mm-hmm. their discussions about this in the Facebook groups, but uh, I think there's a lot who will benefit from from this discussion. So let's, well, go, and like let's go over some it. of the landscapists, you know, they're going to art shows and other things oh, like yeah. that and selling, selling their prints for good prices, you know, maybe $400, $300 on some, maybe more on others. Uh, so it can be in the right context, even for landscapists, it can be certainly a good uh, thing to get into. Uh, but printing yourself is definitely way more economical than going with a lab if you have the time to do it. So, okay, yeah, okay. let's talk about some of your things, why, and and uh, further into the, some of the details. Sure. That'll be great. Okay, so here's the two reasons that I've decided to jump into this, even though I don't like it. At least right now, I don't. <laughs> the first reason is the price was right. I'm a hobbyist. This couldn't cost me a lot of money to get into it. I had to have this be as low cost a thing as I could possibly get it. And I've seen these deals happen frequently. I think it's at least once a year. I, how often do they do these kinds of deals, Brent? Do you know? Yeah, probably once a year is good. Okay, once to, a year? At the most twice a year, depending if, you know, when they're cycling out for new equipment, but once a year for sure. Okay. So, so what I got was that there's every once in a while, they, they have a deal out where you can buy a good quality Canon printer uh, for less than a hundred bucks. And you get there via a mail-in rebate. So your out-of-pocket cost when you first buy the printer is more like, you know, 350 I don't know, a few hundred dollars. And then you get mail-in rebates. They have kind of sales price down and, and then the mail-in rebate. And they're hoping people are going to forget to do the mail-in rebate, of course. And they make the mail-in rebate process very, very cumbersome so that people would are more incented to say, you know, it's only worth a couple hundred dollars to do this. It's not worth my time and not fill it out. And then, of course, they, they still make the money at the full price rather than the mail-in rebate. But I did the mail-in rebate. I haven't seen the money yet. It's another part of it. It takes like an eternity for <laughs> oh, the money to come back. Uh, but in the end, I'm going to have a printer. I think for the, the final price was something like $80. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Which is so that that's part of the reason I made this decision. I thought, okay, the price is not prohibitive. I can handle eighty bucks, and I'll get a good quality printer. And then in in I have had some needs occasionally where I needed to create a print on demand. Like I I needed something today, 
And that's you can do that, but it's going to really cost you through Photolab to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so having that capability, even if I don't do it a lot, I, it's going to be worth it to learn it. The other reason, though, the second reason is probably more important. I'm going to learn more about photography by doing this. I am absolutely, I'm absolutely convinced of that. So when I first dove into like learning Flash. I learned a lot about photography by doing flash too. It, it really, really helped me to better understand light. And I expect that as I dig into this and I learn more about printing, even though I don't have a lot of interest right now in like doing this a lot, I suspect I'm real. I may come to like printing. Maybe we'll see. It's going to take a lot of convincing, but more than that, it's going to really, I think it's going to help me to be a better photographer. So what do you think, Brent? Do you, do you, do you think that's going to happen? Yes, because with some of the details we'll talk about here shortly, there's some nuances that when we're printing, we look at things differently. Sure. And we're going to be able to, as we're processing the image, as we're shooting the image, we'll be able to think about that more holistically. And your end result is almost guaranteed to be stronger on a technical sense just because you're thinking about the whole process now you're not just going to screen view but you're adding this extra piece where hopefully you'll be able to think you know i want to be able to make a nice fine art print of this maybe it'll be a gift maybe i'm going to sell it maybe it's for clients it's a portraiture whatever Uh, there's lots of different reasons for making those prints but yes it definitely i think will make you a better photographer okay all right so that makes it worth it <laughs> since absolutely I, since i kind of find it painful right now with the printing we'll, we'll hopefully that'll make the effort worth it and i, I it, plus it's going to make a good topic on the show where i'm going to be able to talk about my experience as i go through this and and learn more about printing and share tips about it so it, it's all yeah. it's good for everyone okay yeah. let's talk then the first thing that came to mind and i i put down a bunch of questions for brent in the podcast notes for this episode And then we're going to, you know, Brent's going to offer some other things maybe we should talk about. But these are the things that came to mind for me. My questions that I had going into, I need to learn printing. And so the first question was what to look for in a photo printer. Obviously, you have to have a printer to print your own photos. It's equipment you're going to have to have. So Brent, what do you look for? I I know how to describe to a lot of people about like what camera, what stuff to look for in a camera, what stuff to look for in lenses, what stuff to look for in monitors and computers. And I have no idea (laughs) how to look for a photo printer. So go through what are some, some core things, even if people aren't going to buy exactly the same printer that I I got for this really cheap deal. What are some things that, that photographers can look for if they're going to buy a photo printer so they can print themselves? You bet. One of the first things I think actually I didn't even put in the show notes just yet, and that is I don't normally go this route, but I'm going to say name brand is going to be one of them. Okay. Because there's two main manufacturers, that's Epson and Canon, that are really delivering and they are the industry leaders when it comes to photo printing. There's other printer manufacturers such as HP. They're they have some excellent items, especially their wide format items are really good too, where we get really large print sizes. It's just they aren't the industry leaders. They aren't uh, – HP isn't the one that the paper manufacturers are, are primarily thinking about because Epson, they've led the, the way – for the longest time uh, in this field. But when you get into other manufacturers like Brother or Lexmark and things like that, they will likely be able to advertise as a photo printer, but that's just kind of like advertising. I, I, 
<laughs> okay. I, I just can't see um, when you're wanting to look at this, the fine controls and getting into the best possible results ever, you got to go Canon or Epson. When you're looking at Canon or Epson, then you got to be thinking about, well, what are the capabilities I want in my printer? And what those capabilities are really tied into also the size of what the printer is able to do. So you talked about that workforce printer. Well, just in the name workforce, that tells us, yeah. you know, it's more geared towards the office That's and that right. kind of a thing. That's right. But that is a smaller format. You know, you can get maybe a tabloid, not a tabloid. I mean, the legal size printout on that, but you're limited to the eight and a half width size on that printer. And sometimes those office printers, they go tabloid size 11 by 17 i know hp makes some great 11 by 17 ink jets as well and so if you're looking for office type stuff those will be great for your office production they can probably do pretty good for your photos but is it going to be that super just mm, that you're looking for <laughs> when it comes to a photographic printer so that takes us to the next size up and that's where when we get into the 13 by 19 inch size printers for me my own Terminology, I would call that a, a medium format style printer. But again, that's I'm not saying that's any industry standard language or anything like that. It's just that takes us into that mid range that says, okay, we have a certain size of the platter for you know what we're going to print on. Uh, some of these printers are also roll media, so you could get really long prints coming right, out of it, right. 13 inches wide by really long. But then we go up further, 17 inch printers, 24. 44-inch printers, and Canon and Epson both have a 64-inch printer. So we've got some things that are thousands and thousands of dollars, and those are going to be awesome machines, but we certainly don't need to go that, that large. For the hobbyist-type photographer, for the person just getting into it, the bare bones, I would say, is get yourself into a 13 by 19 printer because that's going to also have the other stuff we look for in a printer when we're looking for nice photo art quit, uh, quality print. Excuse me. Nice photo art quality prints. Uh -huh. Okay. So when we're looking at those things too, we then start to say, okay, if I'm going to do 13 by 19 as my base, you're going to look on B&H and other places, Amazon, and you're going to look for 13 by 19 printers. And you're probably going to find like three options because there just aren't that many available. Okay. Uh, Canon actually, they probably, what is it? Three options that they do have actually available. And then you got a couple of options from Epson. And so we want to look then at okay, what are the differences between those? Because you paid bottom line was $60, $80 or whatever. Yep. Uh, the next level up is going to be, you know, a couple hundred more. And then they have one for like $700 in that, in that format and that size format. All of those printers are probably going to have what we call ICC profiles available to them. And we'll kind of dig that deep into that in a little bit. Okay. But then you also want to think about what about the, literal number of inks that is coming out uh, you know that is able to be uh, taken by that printer so like on your printer if i remember right it's a, like i think a nine ink or an eight ink printer uh, i don't even how, know how many, how, <laughs> How many ink individual ink cartridges? So, you know, when we're talking about printing, we look at the standard CMYK, cyan, magenta, yellow, black. That is your standard for your office printers, your laser printers. You go to an offset press for tens of thousands of reproductions, you know, magazines, what have you. They're all dealing with CMYK printing. When we go into a photo printer, we're going to add more inks to it. And so the most popular secondary ink to add or tertiary ink to add would be a light cyan and a light magenta. That's what Epson uh, calls it. Um, I forget what um, 
Canon calls it uh, photocyan and photomagenta is another way of, of calling it. And so that's just uh, like a half, you know, it's, it's not as intense, but they're, they're able to get some finer granularity in the color. And then we have some that have orange inks and green inks and red inks. And then you have uh, what they call light black, light, light black. And then we have photo black for going on glossy printers, papers. And then there's uh, the matte black for going on the matte papers. There's so many different things there. Boils down to what is simply the number of inks available. So on my Epson 4900, I've got a total of 11 total inks, but 10 at any given time because it'll switch depending on what paper I'm going to between that matte based black ink and the glossy based black ink so you're going to be eight inks nine inks 12 inks you know canon has up to 12 inks epson has between nine and 12 inks i think it is so there's just how many ink cartridges are available that will tell you at least in general how many colors you can actually reproduce and we'll talk about color spaces in a moment as well so so, you know, just to kind of we're looking at, is it going to be Epson or Canon, possibly HP in there because those are largely supported now. They're just not leading the pack. Is it going to be uh, available with ICC profiles? How many inks do I have? And then lastly, I would say, just what do you have desk space for? Because yeah, the yeah. printer you got is actually not that large. It's rather compact. Uh, whereas the printer I have, the Epson 4900, that's a a retired model so they actually don't sell it anymore but that sucker's huge and it weighs like 90 pounds and moving it around forget it it is it's a two-person job so it's just not something that is you know it's totally not portable whereas yours you know it might weigh 25 pounds and you can easily pick it up and move it somewhere else if you needed to. And just the footprint just isn't very large. So think about those things first and then, and then have those kind of make your decision. Because it's my opinion anyway, as long as you're in that 13 by 19 space or larger, you're going to get really good quality stuff. And it comes down to what your budget is and what space you have. Otherwise, you're going to get really good stuff. Okay, so I think at least potentially. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So, so this even though it was only eighty bucks after the mail-in rebate, so the one I got was the Canon Pixma Pro One Hundred, and yeah. and a Pro One Hundred Professional, I think, is the full name. So I should be able to do really well with this printer, right? Oh yeah, you should get superb quality images off of this printer. Absolutely. Okay, so that's that will actually be fun if I can figure out how to do that. And get really, really good images that I can go hang up on the wall. That will be fun. I, I will enjoy that. It has. It look. I just looked. It has nine inks. So, is it better to have more inks? So the thing with more inks, you're going to expand your color space. Okay. And so that's one thing we need to think about too. Is with our color space, our most basic or popular color space, I guess we could say, uh, and we've talked about it in the past too, is the sRGB color sure, space. Sure. And so that is just a plain definition that says, here's where we start our green, our blues, and our reds, and then we have this triangle on this representative of what color is. Uh, we have these defined items of what color is and what we can actually reproduce within this color space. So the more inks you add into it, you're going to expand your color space. So you can go to Adobe RGB color space, which has been defined since 1998. And then now we're dealing with Pro Photo color space, 
very popular. It's the default in Lightroom. Uh, and as we get into Photoshop, as we round trip from Lightroom, that's usually the default. You can, of course, change it in your Lightroom settings. But then you need your 12 or more inks to get to hopefully get close to that pro photo color space. Okay. All right. So the more inks, the bigger the color space. That makes sense. Uh, what about, so I mentioned my Epson printer and I've done the clean and the line heads and I've even replaced some ink cartridges and it still does the banding, like really bad yeah. banding. Um, yeah. Do nozzles just like wear out on printers? Is it like, is it fixable by maybe replacing the, the ink cartridges again or, or is that printer just done? In a printer like that, I would say it's just done because it's not worth it probably. It's probably a several years old yeah. and you're probably not going to be able to find a print head that you can replace. But what's right, happened right. is the ink has just gotten so cooked in there and the the nozzle array is several hundred little tiny little jets that squirt out the ink. Canon and Epson both have different technologies for how they squirt ink onto the paper. I don't want to get into that, but we just have these little holes that spew ink. And so basically you just have them filled up. Uh, the reason they're filled up is they got dry uh, or somewhat close to dry. And then they just started caking. It's like, you know, your blood coagulates when you cut yourself. So it's kind of sort of the same idea uh, when it's allowed to dry. And then it can just be really difficult to clear it out. Now, if you have the opportunity to remove that head, you can actually buy a solution where you can soak it or you can, uh, instead of feeding ink through it, you can feed a solution through it, which will thin the ink. I actually have one of those sets for work, but my Epson printer, the, like I said, the 4900, I have had a clog where just nothing comes out. I don't even have banding, zero coming out. Okay. But I've always been able to tell it to clean it. It has a force clean, a forceful mode for cleaning. And putting that through about two or three times uh, totally clears it out. And that's where I had a problem several years ago with my Canon, where I would just have to buy a new print head at $500 a pop. Ugh. The th the third time I did it, I was like, I'm, I, I can't do this anymore. And so I switched over to Epson for the work at the school because uh, at least it doesn't uh, totally clog up and it's not, you know, impossible to clear out. So that is something you want to think about. And that is if you're going to go through some times where you're not printing. Yeah. You know, once a month, just put something through it. Even if you just run the cleaning process or the nozzle check process uh, is what I would use with the least amount of ink. That'll keep it flowing a little bit and and that's what you want to do if it's letting it sit for time on you know months and months like i do during the summer is, is not a good thing ah uh, okay that's interesting okay yeah so i mean this that uh that epson workforce printer that's the office document one it, it has definitely enough activity that it didn't sit for a month but it's uh it's yeah, four years old <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just old and it's it's you know it's it's wanting to retire and yeah Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. My next question that I came up with was photo paper because I know there's tons yeah. of kinds. Uh, I mean, I know this even just from printing with print labs. You can choose all kinds of different photo papers when you print through a, a professional print lab, at least. Uh, your Costco has like much fewer choices, but um, I, I have no idea <laughs> as I'm going to choose those. I kind of get the, the basic difference between, say, matte and glossy. That's yeah. that's a pretty obvious difference, but you have choices like uh, metallic papers or I don't know. Yeah. There's all these, these different choices that are out there. How do you pick a photo paper? It's, 
it's overwhelming. And even compared to what you can get on a, through an online service, there are so many wonderful papers out there. And that's actually one of the things I totally love about this craft. And part of, part of it is me as well. Like I've been to Mexico, let's say, and I've bought packs of handmade paper. I'll never print on it. I'll never do anything to it. It's just, I love the paper. And (laughs) (laughs) I also did that in India. I literally over almost an arm's reach away. I have a pack of paper that I bought in India. It was like two and a half dollars. It is the most gorgeous paper I've ever seen. And it's still in its plastic wrap. I just, so that's, you know, that's kind of like a, a, a nerd quality that I have is, I love that handmade quality of paper. When we get to papers about what we're dealing with printing, there are so many things out there. As a beginner, I totally recommend don't even worry about it because you probably – well, let me put it this way. You you have a greater chance – of feeling frustrated because those papers can cost a lot of money. Uh-huh, right. And so you feel like you're wasting. But if the if the results just don't happen for you and you get to get frustrated and you're just all like, ah, you know, um, that can be a sad experience. So <laughs> yeah. go with the Canon. Since you got a Canon, get a couple of Canon papers. They've got some fantastic glossies, some fantastic uh, luster or pearl uh you know, which is kind of the, the mid-tone between matte and glossy. And they okay. have some great matte papers. Plus, what you're going to do is you're going to be able to match that paper with what the print dialog box is telling you because they have their papers 100% supported, at least usually. Uh, it'd be silly if they didn't. Right, right. And you're going to be able to look and say, oh, yeah, I have that exact paper. Bingo. You select that in the, out of the list of the 20,000 papers it feels like you're choosing from, and then you're going to be able to get at least decent results fairly easily, and then you'll be able to fine-tune it and you'll be able to get better results more easily. Once you've got that, then I say go with manufacturers like Cans and Infinity. Beautiful papers. Moab and Hanemuel, gorgeous papers. Hanemuel even has a bamboo fiber paper. I really like it, but it's so specialized as it relates to just the nature of how you would interpret that, sh- that paper that it's totally not for every photo. But the fact that you can think about, I'm printing on bamboo fiber, yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, and then Moab has some that are uh, Japanese papers, and they have, uh, it's from mulberry uh, fibers. And then Cans and Infinity, they got everything under the sun, it seems. So uh, there's lots of wonderful opportunities there. It's just go for the branded Epson and Canon papers first, depending on which printer you have. Get a little bit of experience and then go for these other specialty papers because then you'll start to think, that sounds interesting. When you start to read how they're describing the paper, that sounds interesting. Maybe I should get a little bit of that and start playing with that. And then they're going to tell you how you should – uh, treat that paper. They ha- they have what they call media settings, and so you're gonna they're gonna say, okay, this paper works for this printer with such and such media setting. And what the media setting means is how far up from the platen should the ink head be? Yeah. You know, is it a thick paper or a thin paper? Uh, how much ink should it spray onto it? How much? Uh, and that's more of the profile. But uh, then they're gonna give you those profiles too, and say, okay, once you connect that paper with this profile and you're printing from Photoshop and letting Photoshop manage the colors, then you're in a good spot and you're, you're good to go. Well, usually good to go. We'll, we'll dive a little further even still once we address your next issue here. Okay. 
All right, so just stick with the the name brand of your printer to start off with. Just like eliminate yeah. a variable. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Is that right? yes, variable. I love it. Yes, because there's just even with Epson, even with Canon, they have a lot of different. Uh, different varieties of papers that you can choose from. And it's just something that says, you know, this is something I know is uh, most likely going to work pretty well. Uh, Almost guaranteed Epson, they, they're not manufacturing these papers. Now they're probably Epson does have some really good fine art papers and they're, you know, made for Epson, but these other paper manufacturers, that's all they do. And you can get really awesome stuff with these other paper manufacturers. At least for me, I really like Cans and Infinity. I wish I could have I could say I'm sponsored by them, but I'm not. It's <laughs> okay. just from looking at the different papers, their Barita Photographique, it kind of sounds sexy in a way, but that's the that's the paper I really like. It does really well with color and awesome with black and white. Okay. All right. That's good to know. I'm glad to, to for me, I, I definitely want to keep it simple. I, I want to give me the best chance to be successful. I already like don't want really want to get, do this very much. So, so I need yeah, to make it as easy as possible so I can be successful. Get a few successes, get some confidence going, and then dive in further with these specialty papers. You'll have a much better experience, I think. Okay. Um, before we move off of that, and I didn't have this in the show notes yet, can I do something like Canvas? You can, most certainly. And even Epson, and I'm thinking Canon, I can't remember. I think Canon makes their own canvas as well. So they have two different options that you can do. You can do a sheet-fed canvas, which is basically the canvas material on a on a, a writer sheet that will just feed through like a standard sheet of paper. Okay. Or what's more popular is a roll media canvas. And that's usually, you got to get into the 17-inch printers, to, to go that route if you want the raw media uh, or 24-inch. Um, at work, I have a 44-inch printer uh, by Epson as well, and that's what we do all our canvases on because usually when you do a canvas, you want it to be pretty big. And so I will also do my own canvas stretching and, and everything. So, uh, okay. yeah, it, that's usually the bigger printers though. Right. Okay. And and you have stuff, the canvas stretching, you have something you have to do after it prints. And, and so that's going to be a, maybe a, a more advanced thing. That I, I'll, I'll probably oh, want to just stick with canvas. like a glossy at first. Yeah. But if you wanted to get just that basic canvas sheet fed type item, they, they do sell those things that are, they're called canvas. Basically, you could still, you know, put that in a standard frame like you would a normal paper. It's just the reason you would choose it is because it has that texture that you're looking for. Uh-huh. And that would basically be the only reason you would choose it in that case. Okay. All right. Next question that I had, um, and this has put me off a lot on printing in the past. Mm -hmm. I've had printers I've had to do for documents, office kind of stuff forever, of course. And the ink is always so darn expensive. It is awful. No matter what brand it is, if you buy the name brand ink, it is so expensive to replace that ink. It's like, you know... 75% 75% of the cost of the printer is the, the ink. And so to be paying for that all the time is just disheartening. I hate that part of it. Another reason I was like, I print rarely, so rarely myself. I just don't know that I want to have that expense entering into my photography a lot. So yeah. my, my question for you really is, can I use off-brand ink? Because I've 
I've done that some of my office stuff for a while. It seems to be okay, although I wonder if it led to like this Epson printer that I was just talking about, kind of having the struggles that it is because I have used off-brand yeah. ink. So, so is is it okay to use off-brand ink? You can pretty much guarantee if you were to contact Epson, they are absolutely oh, yeah. going to use that as an, ex- as an sure, excuse sure. to say yes, that is your problem. And I would say for the most part, they're probably right because those off-brand inks just aren't going to be exactly formulated the same way. Sure. And the problem we have with them is if you're looking for longevity of the print, you want to go with an off-brand ink that is still going to talk about the archival quality of the ink. And then, like I've used Cartridge World. That's a, you know, they have places around, even in my small town here, we have uh, a Cartridge World. And that's where you can go get toner for cheap. You can get ink cartridges for cheap. And if there's a popular printer anyway, they'll have it. And I used that on a Canon 13 by 19 several years ago, and it worked. It was fine. It's just, it just wasn't the same. And it was very easy for those ink cartridges to leak. Problem number one. Uh, problem number two is just, uh, is it going to be the exact same color that, it, that you're expecting? Right. So if you're talking about trying to be really picky and with your color, which we are uh, when we're doing fine art printing, and you're trying to get something that is uh, going to last you a long time, it's just an unknown that you want to do a lot of research on and make sure that you're doing what you can to have confidence in what you're buying. If you get the Epson inks, the Canon inks, you, you have complete confidence in what you're buying. But another thing to think about too, why I don't officially recommend off-brand inks, is that they each of those ink uh, little cartridges, even the little Canon ones, they're like 13 milliliters. They'll have a little computer chip in there, right. and you know you have to get a chip resetter, or you have to have someone who can do it, like Cartridge World does it, to where it will you know, reset that chip. But there's still just that extra step that you have to go through to get that thing to work, and it's just a little bit problematic sometimes when you're trying to order. And on Amazon, you can get inks without the the chip, and so they say, you know, here's a chip removal. You remove your chip and put plug it into this ink cartridge, and then you put this little resetter in there, and it's just like that's a lot of hassle yeah, for okay. not much gain. Um, that's where when you get into the 17-inch printers, you can start to get a little bit of uh, efficiency in your ink. So like with my Epson, I buy the 200-milliliter ink sets. At $85 a cartridge, that sounds expensive, but when you do the math and look at the per milliliter basis, it's a lot cheaper than those 13 milliliter ink sets that you get on the smaller format printers. But then you're looking at, what is it, 11 inks, 10 inks that are, you know, so you're looking at $800, $900 for a full ink set. Uh, That's really, really expensive and not for the, the hobbyist for sure. So that's where the Canon, at least it's a little bit smaller of a chunk each and every time. It's just, you're going to be redoing those a lot because those 13 by 19 prints, if you're making them that big, that really sucks up those little ink, ink cartridges and they don't last very long. Okay. All right. So stick with name brand, it's expensive, but it's part of the game. Now, there's one little caveat to that as well, and that is to say there are uh, systems called continuous ink systems, and there have been some that are really successful. It's just they cost a lot to get set up, 
and then you got to go with their ink, you know, from then on out. But this is a system where you replace your little cartridges with a fake cartridge that has a tube that runs to the uh, a tank that's out, outside the printer, and then you can buy your ink for ultra cheap. And if you go that route, as long as you have it just perfectly balanced and it's feeding properly and things, I've heard of people having good luck with those. And I even tried one of those one time. I didn't personally have good luck with it, but uh, I know for the Epson systems, uh, people have had really good luck with those. So that would be something potentially to think about too. It's just a whole nother deal where you're just like, you know, setting up this whole extra thing that sits outside the printer has tubes running into it. It's a whole nother ball of wax. It's not something that I would initially recommend, but if you wanted to go die hard with it, you could. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go die hard with it. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll stick with the name brandings, I guess. It's just part of the game. It sounds like, um, what about the refillable? Like, uh, I, the, the companies don't do that. The, the vendors like Epson and Canon, they don't create anything really like you turn in your ink cartridge and they refill it or anything. Do they? Not really. They encourage certainly the recycling sure. of ink cartridges and the like. And places like Staples and whatnot, they'll take your ink cartridges and recycle them. But usually those are going to end up with places like Cartridge World where they're going to take those and refill them and, and then resell them. And so I know Epson on the business line of printers, they just released a printer. Well, just released probably a couple months ago now. But they released a printer that is basically a refillable uh, ink tank. Yeah. And it's exactly kind of what we're talking about with the continuous inking system to where you don't buy a little cartridge. You buy a tube of ink or a bottle of ink. And when you need to, you just dump some in. Oh, and nice. that's where, that's really nice. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper, but we don't yet have that in the pigment ink systems that are like 8 and 12 and you know 10 ink systems. So it's just not come to the photo quality printers yet. I'm, I'm hoping surely that one of the manufacturers will go that route because people are just dying for that kind of cost savings. The problem you get into, of course, that's where they make their money. And there's not much place, not much more that they can innovate, though, in the quality of the print. Uh, they start. I think they're going to start to have to innovate in other ways, and possibly giving us some some uh, better value is one of the ways they can innovate. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's. I look forward to that then. All right, let's move to the probably the biggest thing everybody wants us to talk about: calibrating the printer. And this this, yep. this has been so frustrating. I've I've made half-hearted. <laughs> half-hearted attempts at doing this and it's just it never has matched whatever i've done yeah. on my screen i'm using a calibrated screen so i i sure. i've got that down and and they the it's enough it's calibrated well enough that when i send it off to the, the print labs it does a fabulous job of replicating what it is that i wanted in the colors but when i've tried the couple of times i didn't have a great printer but when i've tried it's gone really poorly and i gave up i just like yeah I just i don't know how to do this so Brent, how I'm I'm going to start into this. I want to be able to do a couple of my own prints, own landscapes. How do I go about calibrating the printer? Yeah, this is definitely the meat of everything we're talking about because <laughs> right. without doing this properly, of course you're going to be disappointed. You're going to get 
a green that is slightly off from what you are wanting and you're like, well, at least it's green, but still, it's not <laughs> it's not what I need. It's not what I remember seeing and feeling when I was there and I wanted to relive that. And so, yes, calibrating your screen is hugely important and the industry standard is a brightness of 120 candelas is what they call it. It's a unit of measurement for brightness. Right. So 120 candelas per meter and uh, – or at a meter measurement, I'm sorry. And then uh, roughly 6,500 or 5,500 Kelvin uh, as a white point. And so depending on what setting, settings you choose when you're calibrating your monitor, those are the industry standards anyway. Uh, if you veered from that, you, know, you could have problems. So you want to at least start with your industry standards. Then the biggest problem is too when you're doing your normal work in you know email or whatever it's so easy to brighten that screen up. Make sure when you're going to your good work, if you will, dim that screen back down and get yourself back into that calibrated space. Then we need to understand what is the difference between the color space that my screen is capable of showing versus what my printer is capable of doing, and what the color space I'm working in Lightroom and Photoshop is. That can be a huge problem because most of our screens are only capable of showing sRGB, right. maybe a little bit more. Uh, like the if you have a nice notebook computer, let's say Apple, that's what I use, so I'm right. just going to use it. I know Windows has some great screens on their notebook computers as well. They call it, I think, the P3 color space. And you're right. like, what does that mean? That means nothing. Well, when you look at the details of what that means, that's pretty much right in the middle between sRGB and Adobe RGB. So you have more color capable than the sRGB space, but not as much color as the Adobe RGB. And so most of our printers are capable of Adobe RGB, but we can most certainly print in the sRGB space. So establishing a consistency of that color space, and I would say start with the sRGB first, to make sure when you jump into Photoshop, you might be editing in ProPhoto, right. but make sure you convert it to sRGB before you send it to your printer because that is going to deal, do a lot with your picture, with your colors that you probably don't see simply because you can't see those extra colors anyway. Those extra colors that are there in ProPhoto, you simply cannot see those on your monitor anyway. So downgrade it to what your monitor can show you and start from there. And then as you get some success going, advance to that Adobe RGB, because I have definitely run examples between Adobe RGB and sRGB, and I definitely see differences. And I prefer the, the Adobe RGB. Most folks prefer the sRGB because it's easier to get good results out of it. It's just you don't have as many colors available. So start with that. So that would be my first question is, do you have consistency through your color space from all points? You know, you've got your screen, you've got your what your working space and your printing space. Are all of them the same? Okay. All right. So you, you mentioned editing in uh, ProPhoto. Yeah. So like in Photoshop or, or Lightroom, you, you have a setting when you round trip from Lightroom to, to yeah. Photoshop, you have a setting of what color space you want that to use. And if you're right. starting off in raw uh, in Lightroom and then you go into Photoshop, is do you, do you want to pick, like as a beginner, someone who's just starting yeah. and, and you want to make sure the prints end up looking like you see on your screen, do you recommend just staying in sRGB all the way through? 
So this is probably where a lot of people might argue with me, but as an extreme, very beginner, I would probably go ahead and say yes. And Mm -hmm. the reason I say yes is because it's going to give you a consistency value that you just can't get otherwise. Once you have some success there, though, I absolutely want to see you get into that pro photo editing space for editing your pictures and being able to correlate the differences from what you're seeing versus what you know you're going to get. But that takes experience. And let's go ahead and get a little bit of experience under our belt in purely the sRGB space because that's just – it's the most restricted color space and creativity is born out of restrictions sometimes. And so let's go ahead and restrict ourselves, learn the technique, and then move forward with it. If you're someone who has printed quite a bit and you're looking to go further, absolutely, please, you must be in the pro photo RGB space, the pro photo space, because that just gives you so many more capabilities of color. Even though you may not be able to see them on your screen, you know they're potentially there anyway. And then when you start printing, you can start to say, okay, I'm starting to understand how this behaves experience is necessary to be able to predict what's going to come out on printer that still doesn't affect anything with actually calibrating the printer itself we haven't even talked about that yet there's so many things involved here that every single thing you have to pay attention to in order for it to just come out quote unquote right and then when it doesn't come out right this is where you need to be able to go through your whole process and say okay which one thing did I change I I got good results there this result stunk. What did I change <laughs> and that caused that thing to stink? And how can I then fix it? Or, you know, this isn't working. How can I then change this one thing? And that's where I say too. then work very incrementally when you're trying to uh, move through this. So you can have a very good trail of what you did and you can then go back through it and look at your trail and say, okay, hopefully I'm learning something here. Right. And when we get to our printer, I say is definitely start with we, – we talked about the paper manufacturers and the ICC profiles. So if you stick with Canon uh, for your initial printer paper that you, know, you would use since you bought a Canon, then you're going to have those profiles built in and you're going to be fine just selecting that paper. It's just going to print it out. It's going to look good or it's not. You have to make adjustments accordingly uh, possibly, but the best thing you can do actually is to use – that calibration system that you bought, hopefully you bought one that also does printers, you're going to pay more money for it, and then get your calibrated printer from your actual device, your actual photo spectrometer that you normally plug onto your monitor. Then you can actually also do, if you, if you bought the right one, you can actually get it from the printer itself, and that is going to be like the gold standard for the calibration but you know that's where it's just like step into it (laughs) (laughs) don't go for the gold right away step into it and and progress yourself and then let that be the next step that you would do after you used the profiles provided by the the manufacturer okay so yeah (laughs) that's a lot of stuff (laughs) the calibration device i have is the color monkey display i don't think it does printers no so uh people listening to this are going to want to know and, and meet, do I have to have a device that will help me to calibrate or can I do it visually or, uh, and, and what device do you recommend? Well, that would be the best 
uh, way to go is to do uh, a, a device that will allow you to, to do your prints. But, you know, what if you're to use an online printer? You obviously don't have that opportunity. So what I would rather see people do is figure out what's going on with that profile, figure out what's going on with your screen and your whole workflow and find where it's breaking down. Now, another thing you can do in Photoshop, there's actually a function called soft proofing. Uh -huh. So you can basically take that uh, output profile and say, okay, I want to make this look as best as possible on screen. So I might even suggest turn on soft proofing when you're editing as, as a final step uh, of, of your editing process because there's so much that goes into our editing. We have our capture sharpening. We have you know, our contrast adjustments and all sorts of other things. We might do selective sharpening or blurring just for, you know, aesthetics and what we want to come out of the image. And then we have print sharpening. Basically, before I do print sharpening, what I would do is start, I would turn on the, uh, that soft proofing that Photoshop has, and that'll change the, the view just a little bit to get us even closer to what the printer is going to look like. And then we can make those final assessments and say, okay, where did my system break down? Do I have to go back to my RAW and redo something in, in Lightroom? Or is it a simple fix? I can do it here in Photoshop and I can just bring that into more alignment and then I go and print and then it's going to work. Okay, and, and difference between, say, printing from Lightroom versus Photoshop. Is there, mm. do you prefer one over the other? <laughs> yes, I definitely prefer Photoshop because, uh, and the main reason is control. Lightroom, really, control in several ways, but Lightroom, when you're outputting from Lightroom, it gives you some sharpening options. I, I briefly talked about the capture sharpening, the sharpening for aesthetics, and then output sharpening. Uh -huh. uh, when I do that in, in Photoshop, I'm doing that specifically for the resolution of the printer. This is where we talk about that correlation between dots per inch and pixels per inch uh -huh. and canon and epson both have different dots per inch so i would actually produce the image differently depending on which printer i was going to because i want to be able to know very strong-handedly if you will exactly what i'm number one doing but very predictable results of what's happening uh, when I go to the printing process and resolution plays into that. When you're printing from Lightroom, you don't have that control, not as nuanced and not as detailed. Now, you could certainly test it and say, okay, I want to you know, do a normal amount of sharpening for glossy paper and I want to do this or whatever. And you can probably get some really good results with that. I just tend to be a little more picky when I'm printing and I want to get those nuanced perfect results on that specific paper or canvas or whatever else and if i have to make changes i know i can go back and i can adjust that sharpening amount and i know it's going to be very much uh, responsive to what that change is whereas in lightroom lightroom is resolution independent and printing is not resolution independent so I, I want to be in Photoshop when I'm, when I'm done working with the image. I want to be in Photoshop where I have the resolution uh, set and I have it just right where it needs to be. Uh -huh. Okay, so you prefer printing in Photoshop. You have more uh, options to specify how it should be printed. Is that the... Yes. The, okay. All right, yes. so, so going through those and kind of figuring that out is probably a good thing for me to do and figuring out what those settings should be. 
ICC profiles, you mentioned that before. I have done some with ICC profiles. With yeah. When I sent them off to print labs, then um, you can... I've done it in Lightroom before where you you essentially print to JPEG <laughs> and uh-huh. you, you incorporate an ICC profile when you do that. And uh, and then you can send those off and, and it should match the ICC profile of the lab. A lot of labs will publish their ICC profiles and they change over time, right? Right, sure. As the printers age, as the ink ages, or I don't know exactly what's going on there, but well, I know they, they update might them. get a new printer, sure, okay. you know, anything along those lines. All right. So, and and one of the things I've noticed is I've done that, and I was I was very scared the very first time I did this, because when it came out, and as you actually try to go look at the photo on your computer, it looks weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't look right. It the colors seem very different and very strange. And, uh, and I was worried. Um, but then when I sent them off and they came back, they were beautiful. So, um, so I, is that something I should expect regularly? Like if I, if I'm going to incorporate an ICC profile, um, it, when I print myself, it won't be a big deal. Cause I'll just hit the button. It'll apply the profile and print. Right. But if you're going to send it off to a lab, is that something we should expect is the colors are just going to look a little different. So what I would do initially when I would send off to a lab, I would actually do the process that you had had done there for sure uh, if the lab gives me that opportunity. Sometimes, though, the lab will just say, you know, upload it in sRGB. Uh, If you have a calibrated screen, you're going to be fine, uh, you know, fine, quote unquote, within reason. And what I would do on that is to hit the button that says, do not color correct my image. Because oftentimes they'll say, do you want us to color correct it? And maybe they'll offer some kind of reprint guarantee if they screwed up or something like that. For my personal learning, though, that's a part of the control process that I say, you know, if I messed up, I want to know about it. Right. And I'm going to hit that button that says, don't do any color corrections. And getting back to what you said about loading that profile, that's about that. That is a soft proofing uh, idea there where you're looking at it and saying, this is how the profile is interpreting it. And this is the best that Lightroom can do to give me those best results. Hopefully, ideally, that's what calibrating the monitor is about. That's what cal- using a color profile is about. Those profiles are tiny little bits of information that simply says, because of the imperfections of this particular piece of equipment, device, what have you, we need to adjust the color so we have consistency from device to device. And so that's hopefully what we're able to do. The fact that you said, well, those colors looked really messed up, but it looked awesome when it printed, that makes me think, man, I wish I could see your exact system because – it just feels like something isn't going on right there. But another thing is to say, I don't do this in Lightroom. I do it in Photoshop. So I would love for you to uh, be able to put that profile in light, in Photoshop, do the soft proofing, see what you get going on there okay. and see what happens uh, in that direction. Because maybe it's a Lightroom thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know at this point. There's, there's still a couple of variables to think about. Uh, when you're taking it out on your own machine, you know you have the downloaded ICC profile for your own printer. Uh, that's where you can uh, load that and see how it's going to look. But I would kind of, sort of, almost take that with a grain of salt because the the printer is still expecting that sRGB or Adobe RGB profile, and then it's going to take that information is going to apply. Uh, put it through this filter, if you will, 
this profile is kind of like a filter. And so it makes it look good when it comes out on this device, this printer. So, um, you know, you still might have some some variances there because it's applying that filter to your screen, and so that's just going to enter a whole other system that could cause confusion. And, that, and that's the problem with printing too. Is we've talked about a lot of things, but we really haven't necessarily gone exactly in order of what the process should be necessarily. Okay. So, you know, may, I probably want to go ahead and just touch on that really yeah, yeah. quickly, please, please, just to make sure we get that order down pat. Yeah. First off, calibrate your screen. Then understand your, your screen color space. Then understand your color space that you're working in. We, so we talked about those. Then as we're in Photoshop, I want us to be able to also understand, as we have experience, we're going to be able to understand what our histogram means on the print. And then we're going to be able to uh, modify that profile uh, as we're as we're um, working with the ICC profile, we'll either uh, be stuck with it because we don't have the device that uh, can give us our own custom profile, or we will you know, make subtle modifications. If it's really close, then I say just make subtle modifications. And by modifications, I mean a curves adjustment or something like that in Photoshop. When you're printing, let Photoshop manage the printing, manage the color control. So you apply the uh, the color control in Photoshop. That's one of the options in the print dialog box. On the Canon system, uh, they they have their own. Is, is this what you use on your particular machine where you go to file export and you export to the printer? Uh, do they still use that system or are you going through the, the, um, the print dialog box? So, yeah, I have used... I haven't really actually printed it through Photoshop. I've done it through Lightroom. And okay. uh, and so I, I've used the print module in Lightroom to make that okay. happen. So I would I would then say let's let's transition you to printing from Photoshop, but Canon has had um, a fantastic plugin or or extension or whatever. So you can go to file export and it's like you're exporting this image, but uh, you're exporting to the printer. Okay. And they have all of that profile information just packaged right up in there and it's a beautiful little piece of software. That's the one reason I would choose a Canon printer myself. Uh, I certainly know how the Epson works. It's just, it's more convenient in the Canon system. And then uh, if we have to go to a, a custom created profile, then we do that and start messing with that. So that would basically be the order uh, that would want it very, it's still truncated, but still the, the basic order we would go in. Okay. All right. Very good. I like that. Um, all right. So I think that's about all we have time for in this episode to be able to do it. And, and I'm, I'm going to share my experience as I go through this and, and start learning more about, uh, printing. I'm going to ask you more questions, Brent, along the way. Absolutely. If there's some people that they're not ready to do this yet, but you have a training course coming up where they can learn a lot more about this. Tell me about that course. Yes. So I spent Thanksgiving break recording about 15% of the videos, and I'm going to spend Christmas break recording the rest. And what this is, it's going to be an online course, and I'm going to have it being able to be delivered in multiple fashions. So I hope it doesn't uh, confuse anybody. But what we're looking at doing initially is kind of operating it as a virtual workshop. And that means you would be able to get online, watch the videos, and then I'm going to limit it to like between 10 and 15 people or so. And you're going to be able to have my very clear and, you know, guided input to to walk you through your specific challenges and what you're doing there, whether it's Skype 
ch- uh, chats, whether it's group chats where we all get together uh, as a class or whatever. I haven't defined those items yet, but we're going to do that a couple of times. And then what I'm also planning on doing this uh, this Christmas break, <clears throat> I'm going to go visit a few of my local hotels here that have conference rooms. And I'm actually going to turn that into a workshop where people can come here to Walla Walla. We'll go out and shoot in the morning and the evenings. But during the day in July, it's like 110 degrees uh, during the middle of the day. That's when we're going to be in the air conditioned area and we're going to just dive into printing and we'll be able to, you know, look at all these things. You'll have to bring your own computer, but we'll be able to hook up to the printer. It's going to be awesome. I think so. Um, very much looking forward to that. And then after I go a few rounds of that, so I really understand what people's challenges are and I'll be able to address those directly, uh, at least more acutely. I might, I might say I'll then release it as just a video download that you'd be able to just watch the videos if you wanted and you'd be able to just go through them and just, you know, do it on your own kind of a thing. But for initially, I want to be able to have that ability to help people. And another thing on that virtual workshop, you're going to be able to ship those images to me and I'll give you feedback on those images as well. So it's, it's kind of a, kind of a holistic approach, you know, doing this half approach kind of idea uh, to begin with, to me, it doesn't make much sense. And hopefully people um, will be really excited about that to say, you know what, we're going to be able to experience this together and I'm going to be able to ship these prints to him and we'll be able to talk about it and understand what worked, what didn't work. And that's my dream for this, this experience. But, um, I'm working on it, and I hope to be able to release it in April. Perfect. And between now and April, uh, I'm going to be a guinea pig on the on the training. Going to be course, one right? of my guinea pigs. I, I have a few people uh, who are going to be sort of my guinea pigs uh, before it's released. Um, I have some students here at the school actually that will actually be going through it. Uh, you and a couple other people that'll be going through it. Uh, so yes, it will be well tested even before I release it as a as a virtual workshop. It will be well tested. Yep, I'm I'm planning to kind of go through it and be able to provide my thoughts and. And uh, feedback on the on the course. That'll awesome. be great. Be great. Yes. Perfect. All right. Let's jump into the doodads of the week. Brent, what's your doodad? So in line with printing and calibrating the i1 Pro 2 by X-Rite, it is one of those calibration devices that can do pretty much every device. Uh, depending on which package you purchase, uh, you can do all printers. So the one that I have, I actually have the i1 Pro 1, uh, so it's a slightly older model, but it doesn't do what they call CMYK printers, so I actually can't do my laser printer here at work, but I can do everything else from projectors to scanners to printers to screens, uh, RGB printers or inkjet printers. Uh, The latest model, the i Pro 1, the i1 Pro 2, excuse me, uh, is just the next iteration of it. So it's a really good uh, device, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's about $1,500 for the cheapest model. Yeah, there's the problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not too interested in, in spending that much money on this at this point. So trial trial and error, I guess, is going to be my my approach for, for this for now. <laughs> Yeah, informed. It'll become informed trial and error. There you once go. We, yes, yes. Once we get some experience and and some of that, uh, some of those lessons coming your way. Very good. Okay, and my doodad is going to be the same printer that I just got. I mean, I don't have experience yet to be able to speak to how well it is, but again, the price is right. 
It is one of these 13 by 19 printers that we just talked about. Has some features like, you know, it has Wi-Fi. And so connectivity is is pretty easy to do and so on. So that part of it was was simple. Getting it connected up to the computer was no problem. Mac or PC, I've done it for both now. And it's great. There's no, no problem there. Um, it is 360 bucks initially, which isn't too bad for this kind of a thing. I, the $360 to kind of get into it. Uh, I guess actually the original price is more like 400 ish But right now at Adorama, if you go over there to buy it, um, it's not quite as good a deal as I had when I saw it, um, when it was down to, I think it was $60 or $80, something like that, after the mail-in rebate because they were they had some discounts off the top of the price anyway. But still, right now, as I go look at Adorama as we're recording this, uh, there's, a, there's a mail-in rebate, so you, the final cost is $110. So that's uh that's worth if you want to get into this if you want to follow along like I am and trying to learn how to print then uh, it's a it's probably the least expensive way to get into it that I've seen. Uh, Brent, is there any any cho- uh, hope for cheaper? <laughs> probably not. And this is again, it's just going to be a really good printer anyway because. They've done really good stuff. Epson and Canon both have done really good stuff with their printers. So to have it so cheap, the only thing I think about here is to say, why is it so cheap? <laughs> so it's uh, it, it's a fantastic machine, and if you can spring for the the slightly more expensive model, you know, to get another ink uh, color in there, you know, go for it. But yeah, it's it's a great machine. So you're probably not going to ever find it cheaper. No. Yeah. Okay. So. There you go. Um, and if if that's if you want to just wait, because like I said, it happens at least once a year where I see that mega deal uh, to get another right. thirty or forty bucks off of that. Um, then you know, wait for that. Watch for it. We'll we'll try to let you know. I think I posted it in the uh, Facebook group when it came up and when I decided to do it. So uh, watch in the Facebook group and and we'll let you know if if it's coming up so that you can go get that same deal. And, and if you're not in a hurry, which I wasn't. Then, uh, then wait for the next deal and uh, and get it for that. You bet. In fact, the deal has been so good. I've heard of some photographers buying another printer just so they get the ink. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it, it becomes <laughs> so, so sad. It's so inexpensive. <laughs> like it's the cheapest way to get your hand on a whole set of ink for the, for these printers. And then maybe you can even sell the printer itself, ink without the ink, for you know hundred bucks or something, and and yeah. uh, and make it free. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, that's that's great. All right, Brent. Well, thank you so much. I'm I'm ex- yeah. I'm excited to try this out. I just have Good. to find some time to do it, and I I really think it's going to help me learn a lot more, which is great. I, learning more about color spaces, for example, I'm excited for that. Um, and and composition, I think it'll help with that. I think there's a lot of stuff I'm going to be able to learn and improve my photography. You bet. Okay, some reminders before, as we close up the show here. Um, for those of you who made it and stuck around this far, photography, masterphotographypodcast.com is the new home for the show. You're going to go there and check out the show notes. Like I mentioned at the very top of the show, we have extensive show notes out at the website. So don't just uh, take the little teeny bit of show notes that get shown on your podcaster podcatcher. Um, go over to the show notes on, on masterphotographypodcast.com. Find the show and you'll be able to have all of the gory details. The Facebook group is Master Photography Podcast. You can just search for it on Facebook. You do have to answer a question in order to get in so we can keep the spammers and the bots out of there. You have to name a host on the show. So Jeff or Brent will work. 
Uh, you can find my work, jsharmanphotos.com, or check out my other episode, Photo Taco, my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. <laughs> On Facebook, I'm Harmon Jeff, Twitter, Harmon underscore Jeff, and Instagram, Harmon Jeff. But all of this is in those show notes. Brent, where can people find you? I can be found at my main hub, which is brentbergherm.com. And if you want to be on the, the, the short list, if you will, for knowing when that class happens, I've got an email list at the bottom of that of any page. It's in the footer. Or you can also join my – I have a Facebook group, Brent Bergherm Photo Workshops. You could join that as well uh, if you'd rather do Facebook. So if you're not on the Facebook, then get on that email list. I am notorious for not sending out anything on that email except for the most hugely important things. So it's not like you're going to get flooded with a bunch of junk. Uh, LatitudePhotographyPodcast.com. That's my podcast where we talk about landscape and travel photography-related items. And then you can find me on YouTube, uh, YouTube.com slash C for some reason. I don't know why they have that there. But slash C slash Brent Bergham Photography. And then Instagram uh, just find me uh, at Brent Bergham. So all those different places. And one thing to think about too on that website, um, I just had actually uh, a, a message. My room that I reserved for my chili workshop, they canceled it. And they're like, I'm like, how can you cancel my reservation? That kind of stinks. But I found another one. We're going to be staying in an apartment. And so it's a, like a three-bedroom apartment. And so if uh, folks are interested in doing that kind of a thing. And then also I have a farm stay for the one in Croatia, for the initial item in Croatia. So staying out in the countryside, photographing the best waterfalls in the world, that's what that one's about, at least for the beginning of it. So look that up and uh, let me know if anyone has any questions. And that's about it. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate it so much. We'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss a single episode as it comes out and we will see you again in another seven days. Bye.